right, so this is a reading from the earlier part of First Kings. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll talk to you about what I hope we can all walk away with. Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree, and he fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. Elijah looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. And Elijah got up and he ate and he drank. Then he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and he spent the night there. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. I was thinking about, okay, sorry, that's the end of the reading. They are seeking my life to take it away. I was thinking about a scene in a TV show that I think I never quite, I think the show never quite got its due. And I think it's called Seven Seconds, and it stars Regina King. Uh, and she plays a mom who has just learned that her teenage son has died. And she is a faithful, tithing, church-going lady. And she's married to the church organist. And if somebody says to her, God bless you, she is ready with the response, oh, he already did. Every day. She's got this right. But she just lost her son. And in her grief, in her grief, when someone tries to comfort her, they offer these words. Just remember, God's got us. God's got you. It's the point of much of my preaching and pastoral care. I, I've said to many of you, either here or in person, uh, together, God's got you. And I believe that so much. But one place where I think we fail in help, we in church fail in helping, to, helping you to understand just what that means. I think we fail at that in part because, I'll be honest, I'm still learning what that means myself. We're still learning what that means ourselves. It's a journey for all of us. God's got you, this man said to the grieving mother. And her response, 
so different from all ways before was, and you think that's supposed to be of comfort? And I'm not Regina King. In fact, I'm not an actor at all, so I can't really convey to you in my retelling of this moment just how much of an indictment her words were right there because nobody can ever be prepared for these dark, dark moments. She was in church every single Sunday and Wednesday for choir practice, and she wasn't prepared. Who is? Just in 2024 alone, I have had more conversations than I can count. Well, actually, I can count, but I'm not going to tell you how many. It's a lot with people who are grieving like this mother. Now, they may not be grieving a loss of life. They may be grieving a loss of work, of employment, of housing, of relationships. Loss, grief is loss. Grief is connected to loss, and it can be any loss. But like this mother, they listen to a preacher like me to preach or pray or talk to them and have a, they actually have a very similar indictment that they offered to me. And you think that's supposed to be of comfort? And in each of these moments, I feel, I feel so deeply for you, for what you've said, but also for the thing that so often accompanies that feeling of loss, that grief. And that is your shame. It's your guilt for feeling this way and not feeling better. And so many of us think and are taught that our faith should always rest in the platitudes. That a believer believes every second of the day, no matter what's going on, and if we hear the right words and say them just right all the time, then we can bring ourselves right back to that state of comfort. And I have to tell you, it's just not true. That may be hard to hear, but it's not true. That's not how it works. I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes it'll happen. But there are times that it just won't. And I keep trying to tell you this when we talk about it, but I know deep down you don't believe me. You think that everyone else has it right that you should feel awful, that you can't get yourself out of this feeling. And when you hear those words that used to work, you feel horribly that somewhere inside of you, you're thinking, well, and that's supposed to be of comfort? I chose this passage today specifically because that question is right. You shouldn't believe just me. It's way too big, this issue. You've heard the opposite for far too long, and we don't deprogram that easily, especially when we're hurting. Don't believe me. Believe one of the Bible's most important prophets. He's called Elijah. And let me demonstrate to you just how important Elijah is in the tradition. Soon, I think the Sunday after next, you're going to hear the story of the Transfiguration. Always hear that on the last Sunday before we start Lent, before Ash Wednesday, okay? 
I'm, I'm going to preach on that later, so I'm not going to give you all the details here. But what I will say is that that is when Jesus is on a mountain and some very important figures show up for him. And they appear to him and the disciples. It demonstrates Jesus' power in a way that never had happened before, and it gets the disciples ready to understand or get in the place where they can understand the resurrection. It's a big text. I'll preach on it in two weeks. That's all you need to know for now. But who were these important figures who showed up to Jesus? In one retelling, it's Moses and Elijah. So what I want you to remember, and maybe if you don't remember who Moses is, you know, he's the prophet who led God's people from enslavement into freedom, huge, super important person, and then there was Elijah. So Elijah is just as important. He's a huge deal in the Bible. I want you to get that when you think about those words he said. He's a big deal. He's got it right. But you don't even have to know all this. Well, actually, now you do. But what I will ask you to do as homework, if you will, is this. Please, if you haven't already to prepare for today, please take the time to go back after I've preached this and read 1 Kings 19 all the way through. Read it again and again. Read it at least three times. That's a start. I need you to remember these words for the times when you're in that moment, or if you're in it now, I need you to remember. So, what happens? I'm going to give you a little summary. Elijah, this happens before 1 Kings 19, and then so in 18. Elijah's the prophet of the Lord. You heard that, that uh, the prophets had been killed in that reading. So the prophets are basically killing each other, and Elijah goes after Queen Jezebel's prophets. So he has now killed her prophets, and they were talking about other gods. There's like a competition between them. And these prophets had bolstered the king's, uh, sorry, the queen's credibility. She was a foreigner. There were all kinds of reasons that people might be suspicious of her, but they were starting to listen to those prophets. And this gave her more power, having them so powerfully, you know, endorse her essentially. But without them, Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, was vulnerable. And she then decided to have Elijah assassinated. So many of you have heard about Jezebel. You may not have known her story, but this is who it is. This is this context. This wasn't a secret. And Elijah learned about it, much to his terror. And so then he had to get out of Dodge and fast. And he released his servant knowing that tough times were ahead for him. And he wandered alone into the wilderness, which in the Bible almost always means desert, okay? So he wanders into the desert, and as we all know, the desert is not a safe place to be, especially alone. But Elijah didn't have a choice. As we also know from the Bible, the desert is a place of divine revelation. I need to re reiterate that, because now think about this metaphorically. The desert is a place of divine revelation. And the people who wander, as the Bible usually says, into the desert, as opposed to you know, the tribes who live there and know how to live there, but the wanderers into the desert almost always go there in desperation. 
in the desert, nothing else matters to you because the only thing you can think about is how you might, against all odds, survive. In the desert, you take nothing for granted. Every little thing that keeps you alive another moment becomes so clearly a blessing that you can't help but to notice it eventually. But that doesn't always happen right away, and in fact, it often doesn't. And it's not exactly linear either. It's not like the blessing comes and then people are grateful. I'm going to give you an example. The people of the Exodus weren't consistent in their gratitude practices. And one of the greatest prophets in the world, Elijah, someone who had a direct line to God, to the angel of the Lord, to the word of the Lord, who received clear instruction on what he was to do, he heard from God in ways you and I probably do not. But Elijah couldn't even feel it. He had his moment, and he heard the old words, and he asked the grievers' question, is that supposed to be of comfort, but listen, I need you to understand and remember this. This man of God, he gave up. He had had enough. He didn't have it in him anymore. His strength was gone. He fled to the desert and sat down and as the Bible says, asked that he may die. It is enough, he said, oh Lord, take away my life, he begged. And some of you have said those words to yourselves. And many of you feel such shame and such guilt for saying and feeling them. But I want you to pay very, very, very close attention, this is why I say read this text several times, to what happens after the prophet had these thoughts. And as I read these words for you, I want you to step back from your assumptions about what happened. Notice what the Bible does say and what it doesn't say. Okay, so I'm gonna read what you've already heard, but I want you to listen to what it does and doesn't say. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he lay down and he ate, sorry, he ate and drank and then he lay down again. So that's what the text says. Then after that, the angel comes back a second time and this time with new instruction. So you hear what the text said, but did you hear what it didn't say? I'm gonna represent to you this. Usually when angels appear to people, there's a conversation. And the angel doesn't just speak, but the person then responds. The person hearing the angel responds. There's a dialogue. Elijah doesn't respond to the angel. In fact, we have no reason to believe that Elijah even heard the angel's words. It sounds like he was asleep when the angel brought that blessing. And because of the sequence of events, it, it misses that important exchange. I truly believe that Elijah didn't even know that there was an angel there. And we have a term for this. It's called angels unaware. And all Elijah knew was that when he looked to the side, there was a portion of food and drink, not much. 
one cake and some water. And then notice what the text didn't say. He, did he say thank you? No. He said nothing else to God at that moment. Mm -mm. He actually just went back to sleep. Which, in the rough times, if you put yourself in Isaiah's shoes, or if you ever have been there, might sound familiar. Sometimes, sleep, rest, is all you can manage when you're in a giving up state of mind. Sometimes you, too, are under a broom tree. And there's something else the Bible doesn't say about Elijah. Notice to whom he brings his prayer of giving up. He mentions it straight to God, and I need you to remember this. The response to his saying that he had given up isn't, well, Elijah just didn't have enough faith. It wasn't, Elijah just needed to remember and fill in the platitude. Here's my point for today. In the desert, in your spiritual desert, there isn't room for platitudes. All there is is divine provision. And the provision is going to be there whether you notice it or not. Whether you know where it comes from or not. Whether you give thanks or not. Because, beloved, God's provision doesn't depend on you. It's all about God. Elijah got up from the tree and he wandered another 40 days and nights with nothing and he ended up climbing a mountain and somehow... And this was not just any mountain, but he went to Horeb. And you may have heard Horeb called Sinai. They're the same place. But anyway, this is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's a place of demonstrated divine revelation. And the Lord knew that Elijah was going to go on that journey. And the Lord knew that exhausted Elijah climb, would have to climb that mountain and that he was going to the mountain of the Lord and the Holy One of old, the Alpha and Omega, knew that he would be parched, spiritually and physically parched, and that he needed, he had great need at that moment. But what happened? The word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Stand on that mountain, for the Lord is about to pass you by. And Elijah did. And in the translation I'm working from, which is a little bit different from Dr. Gaffney's, we hear that there was a great wind. And it wasn't just any wind, but it was a windstorm. And the windstorms in the desert are horrible. You can think, you, you see it like in those action films, right? And when there's a windstorm in the desert, people go blind, right? So he's up there. But you know what the Bible says? God was not in the windstorm. And then there was an earthquake. And the ground shook and opened. And anyone who experienced it would have been mortified. The Bible says God was not in the earthquake. And then 
there was a conflagration of fire. And in that same place, generations back, God's people had followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, but that's not what this was. In this time, this was like a wildfire in Elijah's story. It's not good. The Bible says God was not in the fire. In these moments of devastation, they weren't God's doing. That's where I differ from that text. God didn't make Elijah hungry. God didn't make the queen hate him. Those were choices and situations that happened. It happens. And the calamities then that befell him and anyone else who would have been around, that wasn't God's doing either. And this will be my final point to you today. No matter what the platitudes say, God is not causing your calamities. God's not in that. The Bible is so clear on this, here and also in other places, like Job, the book of Job. No one can know everything that you're facing. Sometimes there are storms and quakes and fires that only you experience. Or hear this critical correction, only you and your God experience. But the promise the word gave to Elijah is the very same one that God makes to you. That you just stand up for the Lord is about to pass you by. And I need you to understand that you are worthy of that divine interaction. You are worthy no matter what you've thought, said, or done. You are worthy because the Lord is coming. You are worthy because you are heirs to the promise and the winds will blow. Oh, and your boat will rock and you're going to feel like you're going to fall into the roaring waters and the ground may open up so much that you lose everything you had and the fire's still going to come and it's going to burn and burn, but it will not consume you because you are an heir to the promise, the very same one made to Elijah. The Lord is coming. And what that looks like for you or for Elijah or even for me that's something very particular. But what I do know and believe and I trust with all my heart is that God's not in the windstorm. God's in the cool desert breeze. God isn't in the earthquake. God is shaking up the systems that harm you. God's not in the raging fire. God is your guiding light. There's nuance here, and those things are quite different. So, child of God, who is worthy of every bit of that promise, stand up, because the Lord is coming. The Lord is. The Lord is coming. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
thank you so much for joining us for this element of worship. We are so grateful that you have entrusted the park with this moment to hear music, to listen to the word of God, whatever it may be. And we just ask for your support. The park only functions with the generous donations of people like you. And 100% of your donation goes to the incredible ministries of this church, which give and give and give again. Thank you for the ways that you give in advance and for all that you might be ready to give in the future. God bless you and amen.